Welcome to Level 10 Mastery with Ben Lawler. On this podcast, we interview the best and brightest in all walks of life. By doing this, we help you, our listener, become the best version of yourself. Buckle up and enjoy the ride. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of Level 10 Mastery. This morning we have on Rainy Verby. Uh, Rainy uses her expertise and experience to identify solutions for her clients' complex financial situations. Rainy works with individuals, including corporate executives and business owners. She strives to understand the big picture as well as the small details of each client's financial lives to develop through flexible financial plans. Rainey earned her BS in accounting in 2002 and her master's of accounting and taxation in 2003, both from SIU, go Salukis. Prior to joining Moneta, Rainey was most recently with Ernst & Young as a senior manager in the tax department. She specialized in financial reporting and accounting for income taxes. Rainey joined the Halls Dorn team at Moneta in 2014. When working with clients, Rainey places high importance on relationship building so that she can better understand the needs of her clients and their goals. She is constantly looking to improve her expertise so that she can build clients' trust and guide them through any problem they face. Outside of Moneta, Rainey enjoys spending time with her husband, Doug, and daughter, River, as well as her two dogs. Rainy is a bookworm and tries to read a minimum of 30 books a year. Rainy, welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. <laughs> so tell me what's, uh, what's new and exciting in your world. You know, life is good. We have a nine-month-old daughter, River, so yes. that's, every day is pretty much about her. That's how it goes in our household. So we're having some fun. My parents are living in a few days a week to yeah. help take care of my child, which is awesome. It's not... It's not a life I ever thought I'd live, but yeah. we have a, an intergenerational household right now. Nice. You <laughs> so know, they say it takes, uh, takes a village. It takes a village. We're just really putting that to the road. We're, that's exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So four adults to one child, <laughs> it seems to be working out great. Man, so speaking <laughs> of a village, Rainy and I actually grew up together. We did. In Marion, Illinois. In fact, we've got our 20-year high school reunion coming it's up. Happening How October. does that make you feel? You know, experienced. That's yeah. what I'll say. Right. <laughs> it's easy to say it makes you feel old, but yeah. it doesn't seem like that long at all. But you think right. of what we've done in those 20 years, yeah. and i got to say, I'm fairly proud of, right. of what we've accomplished. So, so walk us through that a little bit. Since high school, yeah. kind of walk us through your kind of your life and, and some of the things that you've learned and, and sure. picked up in the last 20 years. That's a great kind of starter. So I... Went straight to SIU Carbondale, as you mentioned in the bio, and yeah. spent five and a half years there getting my degree in accounting. Um, I'm a little weird in that I, I don't know if you know this about me, but I decided to be an accountant when I was 11. Really? So I did not that. That was always my plan. Wow. I was going to major in accounting, and I was going to do whatever I wanted to do. Because, so what was it with accounting that really well, you know, drew you to it We had a, a little age. career fair in Mrs. Shanks's class in yeah. the sixth grade, I remember, and some accountants came in and, and what appealed to me about accounting was what you could do. Uh, you could really go any direction you wanted to. You could do individual tax returns or you could do corporate accounting or you could do 
auditing and you there were just so many career opportunities and yeah. it sort of seemed like that served me very well because later in my career I remember thinking okay so as long as I don't want to be a doctor or a lawyer this field has pretty much prepared me to do anything I want to do so the segue into finance was really natural so I decided to be an accountant really early um, declared my major went to SIU Carbondale and powered through you know um, with some fun times along the way so yeah. I spent, yeah, five and a half years there, graduated with my master's in taxation in December okay. 2003. I had done a, an internship, and I started at KPMG in St. Louis in 2004. Fantastic. Spent um, 11 plus years in public accounting, which was just, I mean, I can't say enough about public accounting yeah. as a training ground, as somewhere that just really builds your work ethic, your sense of community, your relationships with other people. All my all my friends, all my colleagues have sort of come from that environment, <laughs> so you tend to attract one another. Right. And um, yeah, the St. Louis tax community is really small, so <laughs> you're like two degrees of separation. So if you meet anybody and they're an accountant, you could probably figure out their six degrees of separation. Terrain. Incredible. That's how it so goes. So tell me about that so. early on. Who were some of your mentors? Was there anybody that really sure. influenced you as you just really... You know, kind of started out in the business world. Yeah, I have had the privilege of just working with really fantastic people. And like like I said, public accounting, you, it's really hard to identify just one person because yeah. there are so many phenomenal partners around you. It's also a job where you sort of start out in your first and second year and you're talking to CFOs yeah. and executive vice presidents of companies. Right. You're with the tax director day one. So really just the ability to build those relationships as such a young person, I think was phenomenal. And all the partners I had coming along the way. Um, there was a guy, when I went to Ernst & Young, I worked for a partner named Joe Robinson, who was okay. just phenomenal and yeah. supportive in my career <laughs> and helping me to do. I, I like to say I was at Ernst & Young six years, and I probably did six different jobs. But I always had the support and the backup of those partners at the firm awesome. to move into whatever I wanted to do. And so. It, it's just I've had a really great experience. I've done a lot of different things in that public accounting world. Um, built a relationship with a friend of mine who was at Mineta and said, you know what, I think it's time for you to take a look at Mineta and see if you might want to try your hand at yeah. something different. I was doing corporate tax and mergers and acquisitions, and I was traveling a lot because St. Louis is not really the hotbed of M&A activity. Exactly. Or it wasn't at the time. And so... I was, you know, on a plane to Boise or on a plane to Milwaukee and was ready to put down some roots here in St. Louis and really dig into the community and settle down. And so that's when I started looking at making a transition into individual financial um, ad advice. And so I had a little bit of education to catch up with, mm -hmm. you know, but I got my certified financial planner certification in okay. 2015 <clears throat> after I had started. and. Um, met my amazing partner at Mineta, Tony Dorn, and just we've been together three and a half years serving clients that he's been working on for 15 years, which is phenomenal. So yeah. just really kind of stepped into that role and embraced it, and I'm trying to learn everything I can learn. That's so. awesome. So tell me a little bit about the model. What kind of sets you apart at uh, Moneta sure. from other operations here in St. Louis? Yeah, so what's Moneta is a registered investment advisor. I'm sure you're familiar with that term yes. because I know you've had other people on your podcast to talk about it. But yes. a registered investment advisor, different from a broker in that only our clients pay us. Nobody okay. pays us but our clients. We're not getting commissions or kickbacks or anything. 
only our clients pay us. We charge fees, you know, generally we charge fees on assets under management, mm -hmm. depending on the structure of the client and what okay. they need. But you don't pay us every time you call. So you're not right. paying by the hour, you're not paying by the minute. Sure. And you're not worried <clears> that I'm gonna try to sell you a stock right. that X fund wants me to sell because I'll get 30 bips right. for selling you that as and opposed it seems to 20 like, bips for something Randy, else. in the last couple of years, there's been a lot of talk about this fiduciary standard Absolutely. or mm -hmm. best interest. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. I think there's a really good uh, John Oliver last week tonight, uh, yeah. 10 minute <laughs> monologue that tells you really well about the fiduciary yeah. standard. But what we love about that at Mineta is that we've always been fiduciaries. Sure. So it really sort of validates us that you know we we were already there we were we already had that headwind so right we've always been fiduciaries which means that you act in the best interest of your client and no one else so if your client needs this life insurance that's great if they don't and you just need to sell it that's too bad that's that's not gonna work so, so it's got to be a win-win it's gonna exactly. be good for the client but good for the firm absolutely as well. and we're all you know we're all in business to make yeah. money right and to exactly. feed our families and to move forward in the world but that's right there's a right way to do things and sure. you know I remember being at KPMG for all those years and there um, the tagline we always kind of threw around was do the right thing in the right way and yeah. I've carried that with me all through my career that as long as I'm doing the right thing in the yeah. right way and I'm being transparent and sure. open about it good things will come you can even sleep if well at night you exactly. don't have to worry about that next day or what's right. going to happen down the road exactly and so what i love about Manetta, especially for me coming to it from years of experience but in a very different field yeah it was it's a place where if you make a mistake while learning mm -hmm. we're going to make it right for our client and yeah. do the right thing so a lot of times it's so much more about earning that client's trust that when when i was learning in that first year and maybe did something that i could have done better what we're gonna do is call the client and say, hey, here's what we should have done. We're yeah. gonna go ahead and make that right for you. Yes. Whether that's, you know, figuring out the ramifications in your portfolio and crediting that back to you. And in some way, we're gonna make you whole and we're gonna make it right, which is why I think our relationships last a lifetime. Mm -hmm. So when we take a client, they're our client for their life or until they decide otherwise, or until the facts change so substantially that things aren't the same. So we really, take good care of our people and we're really yeah. involved in their families and their relationships and their goals and objectives and so that's what I love about Mineta that I think is very different from working just anywhere that's awesome so Randy speaking of taxes <clears throat> yeah tell me a little bit about the uh, you know kind of the tax reform and and what's that going to mean for you know, the average American out there, and how's sure. that going to affect the economy over the next couple years? Oh, man. So if I knew that, I would probably live on a beach. Um, <laughs> if, it, if I knew, I would affect the market anyway, right? But, you know, it's interesting. We sort of felt like we were in this really overinflated market even going into tax reform, and we're thinking, man, things are the highest they've ever been. Yeah. How are we going to go up from here? And then in comes this tax reform that drops corporate tax rates, makes corporations more profitable overnight, yeah, and then incentivizes these corporations to reinvest in their people and in their product lines, and hopefully in the US. And so things just continued to soar. Mm -hmm. So that was an interesting thing for stockholders, right. right? Because we thought we were as high as we were gonna get, and here we go, we can, we can keep going <laughs> higher. So, yeah. so the corporate tax cuts alone, you know, I part of me misses practicing in that area because mm -hmm. it's going to be really interesting to see what these companies do right. with those, um, 
that newfound cash. Sure. Right. So we'll we'll see whether they're going to use use it for debt repayment, giving yeah. employees bonuses. You know, it's going to depend on the type of company, the size of company, etc. But hopefully, it means we're seeing more business come back to the U.S. as well. Fantastic. So I think that's best for our economy. Right. So and, speaking of that, how about this repatriation? I sure. mean, what do you think could potentially happen there? With you know, so I think it's it's always. You want people employing their cash in the U.S., but you, mm -hmm. you have to have the right ways to, to employ it. Yes. Right? So it's not about just building new buildings. It's not about just paying the same people more. Hopefully it's about really investing in training your people and making sure that they, if they don't work for this company forever, they have somewhere else to go and that they've really built a solid foundation. Right. Um, you know, I, I think of factory workers and how that has kind of evolved over time mm -hmm. to where people had a very defined skill set but it wasn't they weren't able to utilize that in another sector yes. right so if the factory closes you're now out of a job and you're not trained to do another job so sure. it's where i think we're going to see intellectual capital be more and more and more mm -hmm. important and so if corporations are going to use <coughs> use some of these repatriated funds to mm -hmm. really build leadership skills and intellectual capital I right. think that could be a very good thing um, as far as just building buildings and making widgets I, I don't know that might be a thing of the past but what I hope we see less of are sort of the corporate inversions okay where they're gonna go overseas and operate in Ireland because it's a more tax-friendly environment yes. and then just have subsidiaries here in the US so I think especially for somewhere like st. Louis it's really easy to kind of bring it home and say mm -hmm. we need corporations like Emerson Electric, yeah. they're headquartered here. You know, I would say Express Scripts, but they're a bad example because they're in the process of being purchased. That's I, right. I hear. So, yes. But we need corporations who are headquartered here, who are employing our people, mm -hmm. who are using our space, who yes. are thinking in an innovative way about what we can do with our city. So, of course, if we need them in St. Louis, then we need them in the U.S. Right. as a whole, right? And so I think. The more we can get corporate activity to stay here on U.S. soil, where I do think a lot of that intellectual capital is, yes, I, I think we could just see all new layers of success mm -hmm. rather than seeing these abandoned downtown areas sure. and cities that used to be grand. Absolutely. I would really like to see kind of a revitalization of our American cities mm -hmm. with that tax reform. So I, I know that's about five steps past tax reform. Mm -hmm. So... Um, <laughs> that, but that's sort of where I take it. I hope yeah. that it means that corporations really do their civic duty yes. and reinvest in the cities they're in. That's awesome. Yeah. Wow. Well, that's, thank you for sharing that, Randy. Now, shifting gears a little bit, you know, speaking of, of change, you know, I've heard a lot of people talking about uh, you know, Bitcoin recently. Sure. What can you tell us about Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, kind of how that works and, and what you see going forward, maybe in the next five to 10 years. Yeah, so it's interesting. I, um, I'm, I've explained to you, I'm, I'm a student of Bitcoin. Yeah. I, I don't know that I'm an expert. I don't own any yet. I've never spent any. But I, it's such a fascinating subject matter. Yeah, I mean, it I really just, is. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm reading. just starting to, to learn a little bit about it. Right, and there are some great podcasts out there that you can listen to and really get some expert opinions. But mm -hmm. as an asset class, it's such an interesting thing. So you look at this as an investment and you're yeah. obviously what you hear is, well, it's it's going up by the day, but it's yes. really volatile. So, you know, one day it's fourteen thousand and one day it's ten and one day it's twenty eight. Yeah. And you can double, triple your money. Yes. Um and it's easy to get excited about things like that. I think, you know, 
at the financial advisor in me and the planner thinks, mm-hmm. okay, let's uh, let's take a step back. We're very right. We're not taking that kind of a risk um, in, in investing picture. our clients' money. <clears throat> Certainly, we want to look at the big picture, but we want to be aware that this is a technology that could be revolutionary. Right. Um, the decentralized nature of it and the ability to transact without government controls. And so, you know, I think here in the U.S., we're not thinking, oh man, I really wish I could buy stuff without the government telling me I'm not allowed to. Mm-hmm. I, that, it's not a concern here, but <clears throat> but um, folks in, in other countries who have government influence over what they're able to buy yes. are, um, are concerned with these things. So I would say there's definitely a need for, for cryptocurrencies in general. They're filling a space that you know I personally didn't even know existed. I didn't know there was a gap there. What's interesting is that as they will, I don't know, I'd like to see whether this becomes more mainstream. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of have to separate investing in Bitcoin from using Bitcoin. Okay. And I'd say, <laughs> I mean, 90% of the people, and I'm making that up, but the bulk of people who are invested in Bitcoin yes. have never spent a Bitcoin. Okay. Because there there are a limited number of places you can spend a Bitcoin, right? right? Like you and I could transact Bitcoins and yes. we could, set, you know, with much computing power and somebody's got to trace through that blockchain and validate. But that's, that's what's really cool about it, right? So somebody can validate and somebody has to validate that it's mine and I own it. Mm-hmm. And I can give it to you, and then that transaction is recorded in a in a public record called the blockchain yes. forever and ever, right? And that ledger system is what to me is so fascinating and right. so phenomenal about it that now every it's as if when the US Treasury printed a dollar bill, that dollar bill got tracked through every single transaction that had ever been made. Can you even fathom that? I mean, can you fathom the, the chain of transactions that a dollar bill would have gone through right. in its in its I'm life just of to circulation. Wrap my head that. It's tough, and <laughs> so if it carries around with it that chain, and you can validate every dollar. Okay, so counterfeiting goes away. Yes. Right. So you cut down on fraud. Right. Now, how about the banking system, and what would happen to the so, banking system as we as we see it today? Things would change, and so you have to realize too that there has to be all of the services that are going to come alongside cryptocurrency yes there are going to be things to support this mechanism of transactions there's so far we have to come but so we'll either see banks adapt and accommodate and figure out a way to operate within that new system this new emerging world or not but i think the point of cryptocurrency is to really cut out that middleman so if you are you know you are selling a suit and somebody pays you with a credit card and you use a square, for yes. example, and the square just facilitates the transaction, right. but you're really paying Visa or MasterCard, you're paying that credit card charge. Right. Well, if somebody pays you in Bitcoin, there is no more middleman, there's, no there's no more charge. So there's no square to make money. Yes. There's no Visa or MasterCard to make money. There's only you and your consumer. Wow. So that direct peer-to-peer ability to do transactions mm-hmm. is a whole new world. Right. And I don't know, the infrastructure all has to be built up around it. Sure. So when you think about, you know, I listened to an interesting analogy this week about when the iPhone came out, of course it was easy to see, okay, the iPhone now has a camera on it. This is somehow gonna revolutionize 
photography and the the way people use their camera. They're yes. not going to carry around a separate camera anymore. Right. So well, you, you don't see people doing that. it as much anymore. Right. Right. But what you couldn't have envisioned was Snapchat. Yes. Right. Because Snapchat wouldn't even exist if it weren't for that base technology and then the way people use it. So you can't really predict the way that society will form around a technology. Okay. So <clears throat> our culture changed, right? So when we yes. could snap a picture by our, on our phone, right. send it to everyone, post it, overshare, put it on the internet to live there forever. So what we see in Snapchat is people starting to say, okay, I want to reclaim my privacy. I want to be able to share something, but I want it to go away. Uh-huh. So that, that technology wouldn't even exist if we didn't utilize that fundamental camera on your phone mm -hmm. in a way that nobody could have ever imagined. Yes. So when you think about that in, in relation to cryptocurrencies, there's really just no way to know how yes. far this is going to go. And so I don't think it's very easy to write it off, especially in the financial world, in the investments world where you're saying... Okay, but we have stocks to mm -hmm. invest in of yeah. real companies that are making real money, and we can fundamentally build up the the statistics and the facts. And exactly, we've got something to invest in. We don't need to invest in something that's this really terrifying, mm -hmm. right? Because it's so volatile. Yeah, but we can't ignore it. I, I think no. our. I mean, it's out there. It's on the radar. Right. <laughs> I think our instinct is to say, you know, let's let's let it become. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, there are people out there who are willing to jump in yeah. head first right. and, and go for it. And thank God that there are, because that's where the investment will come from in the yes. technology and making it better. And so, so I think not only Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies will come up around it. You know, I sort of think of AOL and yeah. the internet. Like, we all we all had AOL CDs you know, that were mailed to our house. That's right. Some dial-up internet on them. Maybe that's what Bitcoin ends up being, or maybe Bitcoin ends up being the pervasive technology that changes our lives mm -hmm. and our world. I, I don't know yet. Yeah. But it's such an interesting thing to watch. And I'm, to be I'm determined. Just, yeah, it's very cool that this is happening in our wow. lifetime. I cannot read or listen yeah. to enough on Bitcoin. And yeah. so speaking of technology, what are your thoughts on uh, artificial intelligence? I heard um, a few weeks ago that a law firm hired the first uh, Watson-style associate, you know, that can basically review thousands of documents yeah. within a few seconds. And you know what? I, th I think that's phenomenal because you know what the least exciting part of my job is? Reviewing documents. Yeah. And probably for most attorneys, that's yeah. the same. And so this goes back to where I, you know, mentioned that the factory jobs and the intellectual mm -hmm. capital and, and really making yourself valued in today's economy. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a really big differentiating factor there and mm -hmm. people who are able to adapt and work around sure. AI taking those, you know, call them lower value add jobs. Sure, being right? able to delegate that responsibility out Absolutely. of your business. You can eliminate a number of things that maybe you don't have to do right. on on a, a daily basis by automating systems to get right. that done. Well, when you think about it as a business owner, I mean, it, it makes all the sense in the world. You mm -hmm. want to save costs and what's the biggest... Um, hurdle to to get through when you own a business it's people yeah right and their personalities and yeah. how they work together and sure. how to motivate them and lead them ai sort of takes that out of the picture and if you it can does. get certain tasks done without the human element i mean as a business owner that's very exciting because i yeah. think okay now i can standardize some things and exactly. i can really take that cost element and fix it right and yes. now it's no longer a variable cost it's a fixed cost right and i can move forward but the scary part is 
you know, I, I think of myself, of course, we're in business to make money, but we're in business to grow people and help mm -hmm. people and yeah. change people and give them a platform to yeah. build their own lives. And so I think there has to be a balance. There's yes. certainly a tension there with how many people are you going, going to employ? Mm -hmm. What do you want to invest in training and development of individuals yeah. versus what could you get done mm -hmm. without them? Yes. So I think that'll be a personal challenge for business mm -hmm. owners yes and and it'll be a new economy the same as bitcoin so definitely a whole new infrastructure to be built around that i think fantastic well rainy shifting gears what um what advice do you have for uh, <clears throat> for our listeners whenever it comes to um you know kind of investing planning saving for the future sure so you know you can <laughs> the biggest thing you can control in your life is your spending policy, right? Mm -hmm. Your personal spending policy. We can't control where the market's going to go, but we can control what we spend. And so what I see so many people doing, you know, and I've seen this since I started out as a young public accounting, you know, a cog in the wheel. Yeah. Everybody's trying to live a lifestyle, right? Everybody yes. wants to drive the right car and everybody sure. wants to live in the right place. And they the want to keep up with get, the Joneses. They want the latest right. and greatest. The right? older we get, the more pressure there is for that. When I uh -huh. really thought it would be less, I thought, you know, if I can only make it to 30, yeah. I'm not going to care what other no. people think. Right. If I could only make it to 40, I, you know. But instead, it, instead it finds, I find that people actually... They care more about it. Right. And not the, all people, but Right, but you and you start to care about it on behalf of your children. And mm -hmm. you start to care about it from a different perspective. And sure. so really the best thing anybody can do is just not outspend your means. Mm -hmm. Live under your means. Figure yeah. out a way to make the budget stick to it and make it something you know what what gets looked at gets done is my thought process on everything. So if you're really paying attention to your family's spending policy. Yeah and you know what your goals are, you're gonna save this number of mm -hmm. dollars every year. Right. Now I can you know, certainly give you the right ways to save that. There's step one, two, and three for what to do with your next dollar, but you've gotta have that next dollar sure. day one. So that's right. I think that's the most important thing people can do is really understand your your family spending mm -hmm. policy and spend below your means. Yeah. We don't need $30,000 millionaires out there. We exactly. Need, we need millionaires <laughs> who live like they have $30,000 exactly. a year, which, you know, and so, you know, then beyond that, I think there are some real block and tackle basics that just everybody should know. Mm -hmm. And I'm a firm believer in these are not proprietary secrets. Everybody should know. Yeah. When you have a job and you have an employer that's giving you match money in your 401k, mm -hmm. the first place you ought to be saving is in that 401k. Max that out. Because the company's giving you free money. They're giving mm -hmm. you free money that sure. you wouldn't get. So say Why wouldn't you take advantage of that? For every 6% you put in, they're going to yeah. put in three. Hey, that's free money that you weren't going to give me otherwise. Right. So I get to put 6% away for myself, uh -huh. and you're going to give me more, and I'm supporting my future. Yes. Fantastic. So that's step one. Step two, I think, you know, and it sort of starts to depend on your tax situation and how much income you have, but you want to either be pushing toward maxing out that 401k. Mm -hmm. So in two, 2018, you can put $18,500 into your 401k, which means you don't pay tax on that money today. You pay tax on it way down the road when you're not earning income, when you're hopefully in a lower tax bracket. Right. So 18500 you can just take off the table right now. If you sure. think, I'm not going to spend it anyway, yeah. I'm not going to pay tax on it now. Unless you do the... The Roth 401k, right? You're right there. So, so the next thing, you know, if you're in the right brackets, you know, income-wise, you should really be looking at doing a Roth IRA. 
So you can do a Roth IRA, which will allow your money to grow tax-free. Mm-hmm. You pay tax on it now, but you never pay tax on the growth again. So okay. that Roth IRA money should be the last money you ever spend. Yeah, It should grow tax-free for your lifetime and over the lifetimes of your children. I mean, that's just such an amazing vehicle, such an amazing benefit that we've been given. You can put $5,500 into a Roth IRA. Yeah. So you, you, you want to make sure you're hitting those buttons Mm -hmm. and then i think you want to get started in your after-tax savings as well okay and so so tell me about that i'm um you know (laughs) we all spend a lot of time with insurance people over our over our days right they're very good at calling everyone they know and talking to you about insurance exactly um i'm a little nervous about insurance as an investment um it's it's tends to be expensive and sure. it's not necessarily what you need. Right. And I'd like to have control of my own money. I'd like to self-insure, if yeah. you will. So so sort of that midterm after-tax savings really becomes about your personal goals and objectives, right? Okay. Um, so you might need life insurance. You might need some term life insurance for you and your family to know that if you were to be gone, mm-hmm. Jack and Jillian can go to school. Yeah. You know, your wife can afford to pay off the house. And she can take care of them, get them through college, and life wouldn't change that much. Yes. You can affect that pretty easily through term insurance. Sure. The younger you are, the cheaper it is because you're young and healthy, right? Yeah. Term insurance is a really great way to get a lot of bang for your buck. So you mm-hmm. want to make sure you get that coverage in place for your family. And then after that, I think you really have to talk about your family goals. Okay, mm-hmm. do I want to be able to buy a house, build a house? Yeah. Do I want to pay cash for my cars, which, you know, in this world zero percent financing who's paying cash for cars right right but what are your goals what do you want to accumulate Mm -hmm. as a family what what do you want to spend and so you really want to build your emergency fund first and make sure that especially if you are a single earner and there's nobody to rely on but you i always wanted six months of my expenses just set aside just set away set aside for a rainy day aside for a rainy day and you might consider you know after you get that free money in your 401k Mm -hmm. building that emergency fund is a great place to go because what you don't want to do is get stuck living on your credit cards Mm -hmm. right that's just a really vicious cycle of interest so you want to fund your fund your emergency fund make sure you've got a stash set aside for a rainy day right that's a really big deal and then how do you want to build the savings for your house? Is it important to you to put 20% down on a house? Mm-hmm. All right, let's start building that up. and Knock out you the know, PMI. Maybe it's not about getting that into market investments that are really volatile. Maybe mm-hmm. you, you want to just stay safe, keep it in cash. Well, a really good place to put your cash right now is Ally Bank or Capital One 360. One of these online banks sure. that are going to pay you 1.5% on right. your cash. So because they don't have brick-and-mortar overhead costs, they're paying you more in interest, take advantage of that. Put your emergency savings there, put your house savings there, Mm -hmm. and let it build at least just a little bit without taking risk that you're going to say, okay, it's time to buy my house, and we're in a down market, so I'm going to have to sell everything when it's down. You don't want to do that. Sure. So beyond that, when you start to accumulate some wealth, Mm -hmm. you know, what we do, and we didn't invent this, obviously, but we do asset allocation. Okay. So you decide... How much it's it's sort of really easy to be a great investor, but how much do you need to sleep at night? Mm -hmm. Do you need 50% of your money that you saved to stay safe no matter what? Or is it more important that it grow over time? Mm -hmm. And and this is where we start to get into how is your money saved? Is it all in retirement accounts that you're not going to touch for 40 years? Let's get a little aggressive with that. Let's let's get it in the market. Let's invest it because... Add some risk. Markets rise over time. So... 
it's it's not if somebody tells you they can time the market you should run away quickly sure because they wouldn't live here in st louis they would live on a nice beach in a very nice house somewhere <laughs> if, they, if they knew how the market was gonna move yeah and so it's time in the market so the younger you are sooner you can get invested the better the longer you can leave that money to grow without touching it compounding capital appreciation is a beautiful thing so save what you can save it early use those basics you know there's a really great podcast i'll sort of refer you over to it's the money guy show okay and i really like this guy his name's brian preston he's out brian of, preston he's out of atlanta i like him because he sounds like a southern baptist preacher okay and you know you sort of get that just smooth, that cadence of his voice that real nice southern accent yeah um, but brian preston he's a certified financial planner and he does he his whole philosophy is what we do is not rocket science. Yeah. And I would love to put that information out in the world for free. And if people feel like they've then accumulated enough and they've grown enough based on my advice that they mm -hmm. want to come back to me and be a client, that's great. We'd love to help you as your situation gets more and more complex. And so for me, that I think that's exactly what I do. I don't, want, I don't ever want to cold call somebody when they're 50 and say, you know, I think you've probably saved enough wealth right now. Mm -hmm. What I want to make sure I'm doing is really coming alongside people and helping them in the savings journey in the getting there. And yes. so, you know, at, at Mineta, we're sort of in the business of um, – keeping rich people rich, I would say. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, we say that we're, we're, we're not hitting home runs anymore. We're hitting sure. singles and doubles. You've earned and saved and invested your wealth well. We want to be simple. good stewards and good shepherds of that. And we are really keeping it simple. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, we have different asset allocations for everybody. Some people are more aggressive than others, but it's all about growing that wealth for your family's goals and objectives. Mm -hmm. You want to be able to give X number of dollars to charity. Right. Do you want to leave X number of dollars to your kids? Pass it on so, to that next generation. Right, exactly. But what we have to do in order to get people to that process is really come alongside them as they are younger and focus on that younger generation and really help them set personal spending policies yeah. and know where to invest those first dollars, right? And mm -hmm. so the Money Guy show I really like as okay. just sort of a free resource to yeah. get some some of those things. But, um, you know, I like to listen to it as a financial planner because yeah. then I think, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm doing exactly the right things. I feel right in line with my industry. I know what's going on, and it helps me kind of stay abreast of things too. Yeah. So, yeah, I really I love like it. that guy. The Money Guy show. Well, great, really uh, great recommendation there. And, Randy, I can tell you're very, very passionate about what you do. Tell me this, what other uh, passions do you have? What else are you um, involved with here in St. Louis? Sure. So one of the reasons I changed jobs actually was to dig into the community here in St. Louis. And the first board I joined was the COCA Associate Board. Awesome. So COCA is the Center of Creative Arts. It's in New City. It's sort of our hidden gem. Great spot. COCA is really neat because there's just nothing else like it in mm -hmm. the U.S., um, Coca has this really cool model. So I came there. I should just start at the beginning. I came there because, as you know, because we grew up together, I grew up being a tap dancer. Yeah. I started tap, tap lessons when I was three years old, and I always enjoyed that. And so I, I danced all the way through college. And then when I got a job and joined the real world, there sort of wasn't an outlet for that. Yeah. And so I looked for some adult tap Outside classes. Outside of uh, Pops yeah. across the river. Yeah, exactly. You know? <laughs> Which is 
also fun, but yeah. you know, a, a little less tapping. Right. So, <laughs> so I found Coca, and yeah. I came to Coca as an adult learner, um, yeah. which was really cool. There weren't a lot of spaces to do that yeah. in in St. Louis. And so I found it that way, but then realized they're doing all these things. They're doing summer arts camps, and there's ballet, right. and there are scholarship students, and there's a Coca bus that's going to pick kids up. And so right. I started looking at what this organization was doing in our city and realized that it's it's hitting so many of my mm -hmm. values that I just had to get involved. Right. So what, what Coca is doing is providing just access to the arts, both for tuition paying folks like myself who mm -hmm. are of the means and the ability to really invest in that yes in that infrastructure and then they're providing scholarships which includes not just dance lessons but mm -hmm. it includes dance wear so that every kid can come with the right outfit on and the right sure. shoes and the right tights the right leotard the right hair whatever so that you can kind of come in and be on even footing from Level day one, playing field. no matter your background. Yeah. That is a big deal in a city like ours where really there is. is such a socioeconomic divide. Yeah. And so COCA is really bringing, bringing things to bear on, on this region to say, there's a way to do this and we can do it well. We already are. Look at our dance classes, which have children from every economic background, every color, every culture, and they're working together we just have to start them out on even footing. Mm -hmm. That's and awesome. And so I just really, really love the mission of that organization, everything that they do. And so I joined the Associates Board and have been really involved in that for about three and a half years now. So what's uh, what's coming up this year? Anything exciting with that? So we've with got Coca-Cabana coming up That's April right. 21st, April okay. 20th, actually, at the Ritz-Carlton. So okay. we're really excited about that. We have Coca-Cabana every year. It's our biggest fundraiser. Yeah. Um, and so what does that look like? How many people come sure, in for, uh, for Coca-Cabana? You know, I wish I could tell you, but it's hundreds. It's certainly hundreds of yeah. people. We do a really big silent auction, but the best thing that we do is let the kids perform and sort of let people see what we're doing right mm -hmm. here in St. Louis. And so there are vocal performances, there are dance and hip hop and tap performances. There's all kinds of things going on. So it's gonna be really neat this year. Now, normally it's at Coca, this year it's not because our biggest exciting news is that we are expanding. We're we're building on to our existing building. So okay. Coca's building was a synagogue first. Yes. And it's been converted into this very usable art space, but we have long since outgrown that space. Yeah, and you're so, bursting at the seams there. Exactly. So through a lot of a lot of support from the community around, we are adding to our building. So the first step in that was a parking garage across the street. Okay. So that we could then build into our parking lot, which is where we normally have Coca Cabana. Yes. So, you know, it's it's a fair sacrifice. We will all go have our big annual party at the Ritz Carlton this year <laughs> instead awesome. of on the Coca parking lot what so a we great can venue. expand the building. So it's very, very exciting this year. A lot of good things happening there. Man, that yeah. is, that's amazing. Now tell me about uh, Girls on the Run. Are you still uh, involved with that organization? Yeah, so just a tiny bit for me. So I sit, and this is where I think, you know, you could, you could look at somebody in the finance field and think like, oh, what a dry, boring field. But you get to use your talents for good, right? Yeah. So um, Girls on the Run, I just sort of came in. A, a good friend of mine is a coach for Girls on the Run. Okay. She is really involved. And she said, we just need some help on our finance committee. We need somebody to kind of come alongside and help us invest what we have, be good stewards of our money. And so she gathered together some experts in the field, and I was just honored to be one of them. And so, yeah, we're just working on... And what's, the, what's on the mission of, uh, of Girls on the Run? The mission of Girls on the Run, I wish I could tell you in kind words, but um, in, in their 
official words, but really the way I look at it is that they're empowering young girls to okay. know who they are and that they can do whatever they want, honestly. Yeah. So really, I think running, I remember from me when I, oh my gosh, we'd have to run the mile in PE and I yeah. couldn't even imagine what that <laughs> right. was going to be like. Um, and these girls are getting out there doing 5Ks, right? Yeah. So it's just a really big self-confidence boost. Uh -huh. You know, it's just giving girls a space to be themselves, yeah. do what they want to do and conquer goals they might not have even thought that they had. Sure, so which is so you, important, especially yeah. This day and age. Exactly. So um, I spent some time um, for a while running half marathons, and I was scared of running the mile when yeah. I was a, a younger child. So I think it's just such a really neat thing because you know, as when I was running, just a every day is an accomplishment, right? Yeah. You get out there and you do it, but every day you run a little bit further than you've run the day before. Sure. And that's such a cool, empowering thing, and mm -hmm. to do that for young girls. Yeah. All across the St. Louis community, all across the U.S. I mm -hmm. mean, it's just really such an amazing, empowering organization. And as you know, all about the empowerment of the female. So, yeah, that's yeah. right. In fact, we just celebrated uh, International, International Women's, Women's Day, Day recently. Yeah. So what are some of your thoughts this day and age? And, uh, you know, take uh, leadership, for example, mm -hmm. as, a, as a successful female here in St. Louis. Um, what are you doing to help empower Women. Sure. And so I like to think of it on a small scale, like how am I empowering the women in my organization or yeah. the women in my um, community? Yeah. And so when I think of it in that sense, it's really just about being a mentor mm -hmm. and being a role model to the best of my ability. So yeah. it's about showing that I can be a mom yeah. and I can have a full time job mm -hmm. and I don't have to feel guilty about either of those things. Right. Um, that. <laughs> That's my primary focus right now yeah. is figuring out how to do that. Sure, and but it's a work in progress, it's a, right? It's always a work in progress. And, you know, I had really good mentors that were doing that for me for yeah. all of these years. And so, you know, m the important thing to me is that you can't define success in any given day. Mm -hmm. It's over time, right? Yeah. And so some days you're going to make it, some days you're going to fake it. Yeah. But over time you're going to get where you're going. Sure. And you have to keep your eyes on that big picture, right? Yeah. So, you know, some days somebody feeds my child three meals and it isn't me, you know, and that's, that's a real bummer. And yeah. some days I'm there on the ground, feeding my child, changing every diaper, doing all those things. And so I have to, I have to balance that. Right. I have to make sure that when I'm at work, I'm present at work and mm -hmm. I'm still investing in other people. And so to me, it's, it's about investing in other people, yeah. male, female, from all backgrounds and cultures, right? Mm -hmm. It's all about, to run a successful business, I think the best thing you can do is have diversity of thoughts and opinions. Yes. Don't just surround yourself with people who think the way you do. Yeah, And you gotta mix it up a little bit. You have to. If you're not having a good argument every now and then, then you're not moving forward. Yeah. You're not challenging yourself. So I think it's, it's more about being a successful part of a business than it is about being a woman who's who's a success. Mm -hmm. I simply have just as much right to be at the table as anybody else, absolutely, and bring something to bear. And sometimes I get to be right, and sometimes I get to be taught a lesson. And <laughs> as long as we're bringing that diversity and challenge into each other's lives, we're all going to move forward together. Yeah, so that's what it's all about. At absolutely. the end of the day, you know what you uh, what you put into the lives of others eventually comes back into your own. Absolutely. And I just think of so many people who poured into my life and still do. Mm -hmm. All I can do is move that forward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Randy, tell me this. Outside of, um, you know, some great mentors and the people you've surrounded yourself with, 
What else are you doing now to kind of te- keep yourself at the top of your game? Meaning, are there any good books that you're uh, that you're reading? Any seminars that uh, that you've attended? What are sure. what are you kind of doing? So I'm always reading, always reading. Um, right now, I'm reading a book called Appreciative Leadership, which okay. I am really enjoying. Um, but you know, I I honestly try to stay away from the leadership books myself. Yeah. Now there are, there are the basics and the fundamentals you have to have the twenty one irrefutable laws of leadership. Sure, John one of my Maxwell. Favorite books of all times. I really I really have dug into those. But I try to you know every six months I read a book on leadership. Mm-hmm. Mostly I'm reading for escape. I okay. like I like novels. I like that evening where I can just get away. Yeah. But I do think that is what keeps me at the top of my game. Okay. Is just allowing myself some time and some grace and some space that isn't how do I how do I get smarter how do I do better how mm-hmm. do I you know I, I think I you really have to allow yourself some personal time yeah to rest and grow so you yeah. think of the fact that you know if you're a bodybuilder which I am clearly not but you have to sleep for your muscles to grow you mm-hmm. need to sleep you need rest days you need really a time to just recharge yeah um, and I'm an introvert by nature so I need some alone time I need mm-hmm. to really just kind of shut it all down yeah you need to unplug kind of fiction recharge the batteries exactly a little bit. so yeah so that's a big deal to me I spend 20 to 30 minutes every single night reading something just for pleasure mm-hmm. so you know right now I'm reading killing Kennedy which is probably one of the heavier books I read but mostly yeah. I just indulge in fiction you know I have a book club um, of phenomenal women that are you know, in similar industries, similar backgrounds to me, but everybody's different um, and brings different things to bear. And so when we read books together mm-hmm. and we're able to talk about how we come at stories, I mean, that just builds you up in so many ways. Yeah. So um, sort of back to female empowerment, but on this same line, like how do I keep myself at the top of my game? I surround myself with really good people. Yeah. And that's both in business and just in my community and in my friendships. And so... I just, I cannot say enough about the women in my life who come alongside me. And really, uh, my phenomenal husband keeps me at the top of my game because he helps do everything. I couldn't do my job without him because he comes alongside me and helps me do the things of life, sort of that stuff of life that has to get done. Mm -hmm. We're we're able to be partners in that field. So that really allows me to focus. When I'm at work, I can focus on work. Yeah somewhere else I can be in the present moment and focus on that I love it yeah rainy words to live by well I tell you what as we uh as we come to a close today any um any calls to action that you have for our listeners um anything uh coming up this year that you'd like people to be involved with here in St. Louis sure so Coca Cabana obviously is one of the the banner events of of Coca every year if you can Get involved in that. You can just go to the website. We're cocastl.org. Okay. And check out how to get tickets, how to get involved in COCA. And, and we do some smaller things throughout the year for COCA, too. So if COCA Cabana is a big, you know, it's it's an expensive fundraiser. It's sure. really, it's formal and it's a big deal. But we do some smaller things, too. We do, um, we just did a trivia night back in November. We hope uh-huh. to do that again okay. on a small scale. Um, we do, in the summer, we do a taste of COCA, which we have people into our building and just kind of show them what COCA is all about. Yeah, we have just some, get a feel for it. Exactly. So we have little sample classes all <laughs> over. We get about, you know, 
two to three hundred kids in that building and yeah. let them run around and try all the different <laughs> you know dance classes little we have and a little jazz yeah a little theater a little improv so uh-huh. there's all sorts of things going on at coca that you can get involved in so and what age can kids uh, get what started age though? so <clears throat> i believe we start i should know this off the top of my head i think it's five for okay. our summer arts camps awesome i do yeah yeah. Perfect. So five and up. Get your kids involved in classes. There's, you know, yeah. And if you're looking for summer camps for your kids, you know, Summer Quest at Clayton High School is the place to be. So Tell me about that. So Doug, my husband, yes. he's the administrative director of Summer Quest. Right. And, um, you know, their mission is to, to have fun. So they do three two-week sessions in the summer. And kids from kindergarten to, I think, up to eighth grade, they accommodate. Wonderful and just all kinds of fun. They have archery classes and beauty shop and computer classes and all sorts of fun things for kids to do during the summer. It's so So important to keep kids active, you know, to keep kids engaged. And it seems like this day and age, it's very common to see kids just locked onto the iPad or or the iPhone. Right, but summer quest, they get them out there, they get them in the world, they're shooting bows and arrows, you know, playing like like us old kids used to play. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, Rainy, thank you so much for uh, making some time to be on the uh, to be on the podcast today. We'll put Thanks all of the details me. that you shared in the uh, in the show notes. All right, ladies and gents, thank you for tuning in to another episode of Level Ten Mastery. We could not continue our mission without your support. Check us out on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Give us some feedback. Until next time, get out there and become the best version of yourself.